Like no one would care to listen to a podcast of me telling you, I'm so sorry, I'm coddling you and you know, hope you get better. But let me dive into your question, okay? Honestly. Love you, Lindsay. Here we go. Suck it up. Suck it up. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast, episode 145. Thanks for coming wherever you came from. Maybe it was TikTok or Instagram or... Uh, maybe you you heard about me on the Smiths or where maybe you're a longtime listener and you've been listening for many, many episodes in a row, binging it. Thank you. Wherever you're coming from, thank you. I love doing this. It's one of my favorite things to do. I answer your questions. You email me, grangersmithpodcast at gmail.com, and we walk through it like two friends in the cab of a pickup truck. You say, hey, man, I got something I want to talk to you about, and we just unpack it. So... In no order, with no notes on the desk, I'm going to start with the first one. Subject line says, question, question says, my fiance has become distant to the point we barely talk to each other for maybe an hour a week. She says that she's busy. I know her schedule and I don't understand how. I've talked to her parents and they told me that she's been hanging out with her friends and lying to me. She seems to be a whole different person than before we got engaged. What should I do in this situation? I've tried to talk to her about it, but never get anywhere. Uh, question comes from Garrett. And Garrett, um, thanks for emailing, buddy. I, this is what I think. I, I would always tell someone in a marriage, if they're struggling, to fight for your marriage and to do everything you can to, to keep the marriage. And I don't say the same thing about, about dating and engagements because I, I think that this engagement period is, is a really good time for you to see who it is that you're marrying. This is not advice that you're going to want to hear because I'm sure you love her to death and that's why you emailed. Uh, but I want to point out to you, just as a friend, that the fact that she is lying to you and going places other than what she's telling you is a, a lack of trust that's really difficult right now in this engagement to put up with because that's that's something that's probably not going to stop in the marriage. So if you're engaged and she's lying to you and going places and even her own parents are calling her out on that, it's not a good sign. As a friend, I would tell you, Garrett, I think it's time to take a break. And then I would go to her and say, hey, uh, I love you. I'm crazy about you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. That's why we're engaged. That's why I proposed to you. But I don't, I don't know if us being dishonest with each other right now is, is something that we need to keep moving forward with in this relationship, or if it's something we need to pull back, hit the brakes a bit, and take a break. So I'm suggesting that we separate for a little bit and let some air breathe in this relationship. I'm not saying you have to dump her or move on forever. I'm just saying maybe time to pump the brakes on the engagement, like slow down that date coming up on, on the wedding, right? Um, this is not a good sign. It's a really big red flag that she's lying to you about where she's going. And I would say the same thing about her being so distant and being a different person. Uh, I, the last thing I'll say is make sure that when you're, when you're talking about her being dishonest and her being distant, Make sure that you're taking accountability for yourself too, because 
it takes two in this relationship and and make sure that you're not being the nagger or the the one that's calling her out all the time make sure you're also looking at yourself what are you doing don't you can't be a hypocrite in the situation and you're doing the same thing are you being distant maybe not uh, but but just make sure that you're turning the lens around at yourself at the same time that's it's really important but i think i think this is a bad sign and time to take a break Next question says, hey, Granger, my name is Maddie. I'm from Montana. My husband had a deployment a bit ago, and when he came back, feelings have never been quite the same as he as they were whenever he left. It's almost like there's no emotional connection anymore. We've been fighting. We've been together for almost two years now. Now, not sure how to go about things. Hope this reaches you, Granger. Love your podcast, and they've really helped me through my husband's deployment. Okay, so Maddie, so th- this is um, this is the scenario different than the last question, because why? Because you're, you're married. So I'm, I w- I'm always going to say on this podcast to fight for your marriage. That doesn't always mean it's going to work, but you have to fight for it tooth and nail with everything you have. You fight for this. And so that's what I'm going to tell you, Maddie. So he comes back from the deployment and you think that it hasn't felt the same. And I would say to you, yeah. He just got back from a deployment. It shouldn't feel the same. He has seen things, done things, been around things, been separated from the real world and you for a long time. So we could all expect him to be different now. This is something that you sign up for when you marry someone in, in that's in the armed forces. That doesn't mean he's a bad person. It doesn't mean this is a bad marriage, Right. So my, my suggestion is you pour into him. You don't, just like I said to the last question, you don't nag him. You don't, you don't sit him down and say, you're different now. You're, you're just not the same person. You never give me attention anymore. What's wrong with me? Do you not love me anymore? Avoid those kind of conversations. Instead, serve him. Pour into him. It's hard to do that. I would say that in, in the reverse gender roles, but pour into him. And just say, babe, what what could I do? What could I do to make your day a little bit better? And don't don't demand anything. Lower your expectations of him in the marriage right now. Now, this is not this is not a long-term plan for you lowering your expectations. It is a long-term plan for serving him. Uh, and and he should be able to serve back. He should reciprocate when he's when he starts feeling that love again and his tank gets full. But right now his tank is empty. And he's searching. He's searching for himself. He's searching for this relationship. He's seen some things. He doesn't know who he is anymore. So remind him through love, not criticism, not nagging. Remind him who he is and who y'all are as a relationship with loving him, pouring into him, make him his favorite meal. Don't, don't nag him when he's, when you make his favorite meal and he's on the couch and he acts indifferent about it. He just wants to sit there and look at his phone. Don't nag him about it. It's hard to do this. It's much easier for me to tell you than it is for you to do it. But you make that meal and you get everything prepared and this is his favorite meal and he's sitting on the couch and he's looking at his phone and he's just solemn and you go, babe, it's ready. And he's like, "Ah, I'm not hungry. Don't nag him at that point. Don't tell him about how hard it was for you to make it. Because guess what? He knows. He's human. He knows deep down. So just go, hey, 
I'm going to, I'm going to put some foil on top of this and I'm going to put it in the fridge. If you want me to reheat it for you, I can, but, uh, but otherwise you do your thing. It's here for you. Is there anything else I could do for you tonight? Like, can you imagine if that's, if you just poured into him like that daily, it's, it's going to take a lot of effort, but that's what it is. You know, a relationship is work. I would say to the, I would say this, we thank him for his service for our country. And we equally thank you for your service to our country by serving him in this way. Because, because it can't be lost in this situation that the spouses of these military men and women that come back from deployment, what the spouses go through is like war in a way. It's a relationship war. And you're going to wage it with love. So pour into him and you are serving your country in that way and you can get him back. You could bring him back. You could do it. Or you can run him away. So many of these situations end in divorce. I know many of them. I've read many of them. I get many of them emailing the podcast. Many times it ends in divorce because the spouse can understand. They can't understand why they're not still the same person because they expected them to. They have really high expectations for the spouse because they flip through Instagram and they see these couples kissing on Instagram and holding each other and saying, here's my ride or die. I love this person with all my heart. And you see that on Instagram and you go, that's not me. My husband doesn't give me the time of day. So you could either buy into that lie that social media is telling you and your friends and you see all your friends are happy, it seems like but everybody's struggling in some way. Maddie, pour into him. I'm so sorry you're in this, but this is my, this is my friendly suggestion to you. Let's hit another one here. This one, the subject line says, tattoos, biblical, question mark. Hey, Granger, how do you feel about tattoos from a biblical standpoint? I have tattoos prior to being in a real relationship with Jesus. I consistently read my Bible and I was baptized at birth. Based on scripture, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, I find myself struggling with the fact that I have them, and I still think about getting more. Mine are scripture for my own children. I would love to hear your thoughts and feelings. Thank you for sharing the Lord's word, your encouragement, and your music, Yee Yee. Uh, question comes from Casey Joe in Pensacola, Florida. Shout out to Florida, Pensacola. Thank you for the question. It's a great question. So what we have to know in the Old Testament, in, in the law... When we're talking Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we're talking Mosaic law in the Old Testament. There is three kinds of laws, and we have to understand the three kinds of laws. We have moral law, we have civil law, and we have ceremonial law. All three laws are very different, and they're all included in the Old Testament. So we have to look at this. So, so first we have moral law. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery don't steal, don't lie, obey your parents, okay? All those laws are the moral laws, and they transcend all cultures, all time, all everything, right? We still abide by those today. Whether or not we're a believer or not, those laws are written on our hearts, right? Like, that's what Jesus says. I'm going to write the law on your heart. And so whether or not you're a Christian or not, or any religion, these laws are written on your heart because you're a human and you're born with this idea that I better not lie. That's going to get me in trouble. I better not murder. I should probably not covet. 
but these are these are the moral laws that stand throughout time. Then there's the civil laws, right? Civil law for for instance, right now a civil law for us is don't speed. We have speed limits. They are set in place by society. These are civil laws for us to follow. So don't speed. Now, a thousand years, let's say 2,000 years from now, when, when cars are maybe flying or driving themselves and there is no speed limit, say, right? We're, we could look back 2,000 years from now and go, should we still follow that law that says we shouldn't speed? Well, it's like, no, that, that was a civil law for 2022. It doesn't apply. So you could find a lot, hundreds of those kind of laws that you go, ah, oh, that's weird. Like a man shouldn't have long hair. Well, we have to understand that in that time, in that civilization, that would represent something different. So you shouldn't do it. That's where tattoos come in. That's where tattoos fall. And before I get to that, there's ceremonial laws. And so that's the ceremony of, of that religion at the time calls for certain things sacrificing the firstborn lamb, right? We don't do that anymore. That's not a law that, that applies to us anymore. We don't sacrifice lambs right now. That's a ceremonial law. So that's obvious that we don't do that. So civil is the same way. Now, we, we, there's, there's some that still apply, but for the most part, tattoos fall under that. So tattoos at the time directly represented the pagan culture. So it's like, you do that, you get a tattoo, you mark your body, and you are representing a pagan culture. That's who you that's who you are associating with if you do that. So don't do it. Okay? So we don't have that now. That's it's not you don't look at a tattoo now and go definitely a pagan. Unless you see a pagan marking. I I get it. But at the same time, at the same time Casey Joe. Um I'm with you. I'm with you on the same thing. I got tattoos before my massive rebirth into Christianity. And I haven't had one since then. And like you, mine represent my children. So um, where do we go from here? Where do, you, where do we go with all of this information that I just put on the table? At, the, at this point, I would not mark your body unless it was something that was, was eternally changing inside you. Like, I, I have to, I, I'm going to put this on my body because it's going to represent something that, that, that I believe wholeheartedly, and, I, and it's a conversation starter with with a stranger, maybe something like that. But but even even then, that's kind of iffy. Like I I don't know. Here's a, here's an example for me. I have my my three kids on the inside of my left arm, their birthdays, but I don't have Maverick. He's my latest, and I wasn't expecting to have Maverick. He wasn't expected. We weren't supposed to have four children. God has that plan, not me. That's a different story. But so I'm like, okay, well, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of have to get, I have to get Maverick's birthday on my arm. Like that's, it's one day he's gonna go, Dad, why didn't you, why didn't you ever get my birthday? You got the other three kids, you didn't get mine. And and I, I have to, I could say, well, I don't believe I should, you know, mark my body, or I could be like, yeah, I, Maverick, I, I had to get your birthday on here. Uh, but other than that, I, I don't. I don't feel the need to go get any more. 
Um, does that make sense? That's kind of the way that I'm unpacking it here, and we can go way deeper on it. But but the main thing is we have to understand when, when we read the Old Testament the three different kinds of laws, moral, civil, ceremonial, and we have to be able to separate them and know the difference. Okay? By the way, New Testament, Jesus, he fulfilled the law, and he said, I could, I could basically sum up the Ten Commandments for you in one commandment. Love the Lord your God and love others like yourself. Like one sentence, there it is. It's all, it's all wrapped up in one. Okay. Um, next question, subject line says, new to fatherhood. Hey, Granger, my name is Andrew. I first want to say thank you for all the wisdom you share on this podcast. My question for you is a bit of a two-part question. The first is, how did you know you were ready to be a dad? And the second one is, if you can go back in time, what would be one piece of advice you would give yourself in the past when you first found out you're going to be a father? Again, thank you for all you do. Andrew from Virginia. Shout out to Virginia. Great state. Um, man, Andrew, sounds like, well, I don't know. It sounds like you maybe maybe you're expecting or maybe not. But um, but anyway, it, exciting time for you, brother. Thanks for the email. And I, w- I would say this. Here's how I would answer your first part of your question. How do you know you're ready to be a dad? Let's say two things, okay? One, you're married. Two, you love Jesus with all your heart. That's me. Those are my two answers to how do you know you're ready? You're married and you love Jesus with all your heart. Everything else, just trust him. Just surrender it to him. God, if you want me to be a dad, if you want us to have a family, if you want to bless us in that way, I'm, I've got my arms open, my, my palms are up. I have no clenched fists with this situation. If you want to bless us with this, we're ready. And notice that I didn't say anything about saving up a certain amount of money in the bank account, making sure you're living next to a really nice elementary school, make sure you got your job, your your dream job wrapped up. Notice I didn't say any of that because there are great children that grow up in the dirt. But we have this expectation now that we need to have a certain amount of money, we need to have a certain amount of schooling, we need to have start prepping for college savings, and we need to we need to have the right job, and we got to have a baby's room, you know, in the house. I just don't, I don't, I think we put way too much importance on that stuff. We make that a big priority when we should really just open our hands and say, God, when you're ready for us to have a baby, we'll we'll take it, and and if not, lead us to adoption, lead us to fostering. And if not any of that, lead us to teaching children in another way. Let us be able to contribute to society in that kind of way. But uh, it's just, Andrew, it's just, that's my simplest answer. And I believe with all my heart, those two things, married, believe in Jesus and with all your heart, faith in Jesus. If you have those two things, you're ready. You're ready, whether you like it or not. And I love, I love the way that, that, Fatherhood happens in such slow phases. Like you find out you're pregnant and you got nine months to get ready. And then when the baby's born, you got a year until they're super mobile, maybe six months like Maverick. Then you have two years before the terrible twos. And then you got six years before you got to start thinking about kindergarten. And it's just everything is staggered out at the perfect pace so that as a dad, all you really have to do is be a little bit ahead of the kid to be to be ready for whenever they get to that that stage in their life. So you don't right now you don't have to be ready for a teenager. You don't have to be ready to send a kid off to college or 
whatever. You don't have to do that. You just need to be ready for your wife to be pregnant. That's all you have to do right now. One step ahead is all you need to be. It's in fact, it's impossible to say, oh no, it's a girl. She's going to start dating. Like, well, you don't have to think about that for like, for London's case, 27 years. <laughs> Second part of your question says, what advice would you give, give yourself if you can go back in time? Um, Andrew, th- what's crazy is I just, I try to live a life without regrets. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I've, I've, learned the hard way in so many things through the mistakes. And you take, take those mistakes away. And our life is like a, a game of Jenga. And you start pulling blocks out of the bottom, things that you shouldn't have done, so take this block out. You wish you could have done this better, take this block out. Then you get really raggedy as, you, as your tower starts getting taller, right? Because, because your mistakes are, become the foundation that makes you who you are. So if I go back to myself and I say, hey, be, before you have London, be sure that you're doing these things because if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Well, it's like, well, if I hadn't learned from those mistakes that I fell into, then I would be half the dad now because I, I wouldn't have learned anything. I wouldn't have grown from that. I wouldn't have gone, man, oh, that was bad. I, I, I wish I would have done this. And because how do I know that I would have ever learned that ever? if the mistake hadn't happened. So and that's a very roundabout way to, to answer your second part of your question. But uh, I don't want to, I don't want to go back. I just want to go back and just say, enjoy it, man. Enjoy every moment. Soak up every moment. Take the pictures, take the videos, love them, hold them, put them down, read books to them, kiss them in the morning, go to work, go on a trip, say goodbye, come back in seven days missing them so bad and you get back in the house and you run and you grab them and you hold them I would say just just soak it up be in the moment be present we'll take a break and be right back thank you for listening to the podcast if you want to sport your yee apparel to support this podcast go to yee.com we always have new gear for you to support the lifestyle that's all about faith family and the outdoors if you ever wonder what yee yee means it means live life to the fullest if you've made it this far in this podcast if you listen to this podcast at all that's exactly what you're interested in if you want to get a hold of me and have a personal video message made for you go to cameo.com slash granger smith i can make anything you want right here on my phone send you a personalized message a happy birthday congratulations words of encouragement anything you could think of for anybody in your life, including yourself. You could also download the Cameo app and search for me, Granger Smith, or go to cameo.com slash Granger Smith. Back to the podcast. Okay, diving back in here. Next question. Subject line says, ATV accident setback. Question says, hey, Granger, I was in an ATV accident five weeks ago, which was resulted in a totaled ATV, several injuries, a cut-up yee-yee sweatshirt. With all this, I've grown more and more frustrated and discouraged with each passing day on why this accident had to happen is several opportunities had to be missed, like going to Montana for vacation, interviewing for a new job, and a wedding. My question is, how do you approach a major setback? I am a woman of faith, but I don't feel God is with me in this. It's as if I've been abandoned. Any advice is appreciated. Thanks. Lindsay, Michigan. 
Shout out to Michigan. Lindsay, thank you for the email. I'm sorry about your, uh, your accident. Let me dig into this, okay? And, and I, I say this a lot on this podcast, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to always give you tough love because that, that's the best way for me to do this is just for me to be honest. I don't think this podcast is worth anything if I'm not real with you, if I'm not honest with you, if I'm just coddling, coddling you and telling you things you need to hear, I, I just think this podcast then becomes worthless. Like no one would care to listen to a podcast of me telling you, I'm so sorry, I'm coddling you and you know, hope you get better. But let me dive into your question, okay? Honestly. Love you, Lindsay. Here we go. Suck it up. Suck it up. You I have read, I have talked to so many people in ATV accidents that have lost a loved one or a friend or a son or a daughter. I've talked to so many people in my life through meet and greets, through concerts that have been paralyzed through this, that lost the use of all their limbs. You are, you, you don't get, you don't get to go on vacation to Montana. You, you, you you miss an interview for a job and you miss a wedding. Like and I know you have injuries, but you see what you're saying. Like there's people out there that have been killed by an ATV accident. Killed or paralyzed. They're a vegetable. The rest of their life they're they're eating through a straw with a little remote control on a wheelchair. And you survived this and you missed a wedding and a job interview and a vacation. And you're saying, I, I don't know why God put me through this. You feel abandoned. You, you hear what you're saying, Lindsay? You, you, were, you were saved in this, and you have a, cha- a chance to live, a chance to walk. You have plenty of chances for an, another interview or another, or another wedding or another vacation. And yet you are looking at life like God left you in, to get injured in, on this ATV. Instead of saying, instead of saying, Lindsay, praise God, this could have been so much worse. I very easily could not have had thumbs to write this podcast email. I've talked to so many families that have walked onto my bus. Countless families and I know their face. They walk up on my bus. I, I can just recognize the way they look. The, sometimes they'll have a shirt, a memorial shirt on, and they'll have a picture. And they'll say, this is our son. And he was a big fan. And here's a picture of you and him in 2019 at a meet and greet. And we lost him in an ATV accident. And he loved you. And he loved your music. So we came here because today's his birthday. And we're going to celebrate today on his birthday with his favorite band. And we're, we're going to remember him today. And it breaks my heart. Those kind of meet and greets with people have has changed my life. It's changed the way I look at playing music and writing music and performing music. It changed me and my band from looking at a full crowd to looking at one person and knowing that that one person has a story and they might be remembering someone they lost or they're trying to forget something that's too painful. They're trying to remember something again. They're trying to just feel normal again. 
And that is a, a huge responsibility that I love. And I feel like it's a gift. It's a gift from God that I get to have an opportunity to, to be that for some family. And then, Lindsay, I love you, but I read your email because you missed a wedding. And you think God left you when you have this opportunity to share your testimony and say, I lived through something that, that could have been so bad. I was inches away from dying. And he spared me for what? For what meaning? What purpose? I need to figure this out. Not why. Why did he do it? Why did he leave me? Why did he abandon me? I'm a woman of faith. No, you're not. No, you're not. That is no faith. That is zero faith. You have zero faith. And I hope, I hope this lights a fire under you right now when you hear this. I hope you hear it. And I pray that it lights a fire under you and you might get mad at me and you might never want to email me ever again. But I, I, I'm doing this because, because I truly care for you, Lindsay. And I, and I want you to hear this from me, that God spared you for a reason, for a purpose. And you have breath in your lungs and you got a beat in your heart. And you obviously have good thumbs because you wrote this email. Use it. This is your story. Use it. Why are you still here on this earth? Fulfill that purpose because there's a reason and there's a meaning behind this. Stop asking why. Go read the Psalms. I say that so many times. Meditate in the Psalms. Open up the Psalms and start reading them slowly. Absorb it. And you're going to read about when David writes so many of these psalms, he has a felt reality. There's a difference between objective, real truth reality, what's really happening, and how we feel. And sometimes if we let our feelings take over, our feelings become our reality. So if, if we think we feel sorry for ourselves, then the reality becomes that we are feeling sorry for ourselves and that everyone's abandoned us. And God left us. That's not the truth. That's not what the Bible says. Ever. Ever. He walks us through trials on purpose for a reason. Of course we suffer. Of course we go through trials and tribulations. That's promised by Jesus himself. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's amazing truth. We know we're going to suffer. We know we're going to be persecuted. We know we're going to have trials and be tested. But we also know that he's going to walk us through every step of it. He's not always talking in your ear. He's not writing words in the clouds. He's not bringing his hand around your head and saving you from a fall. Sometimes he lets us fall. Because that's our purpose, to learn from the suffering through it. That is what the Bible says over and over, and a woman of faith should know that. Okay? I hope this message gets to you. And you know what? You could email your friend and say, I'm so terribly sorry I didn't make your wedding. And you could email the 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 interview boss, and say, I'm so sorry, I missed the interview. 
I hope that when I recover from these injuries, the job is still open. But if it's not, I understand. Maybe you weren't supposed to get that job, Lindsay. Like, ever think about that? You ever think about that? Maybe you weren't supposed to get that job. I hope you feel better. I hope you get this message. Next question, subject line says, third wheel. Hey, Granger, my name's Ryan from North Central Ohio. Recently, it started to feel like all my relationships have been failing. My friends are all engaged and planning weddings. Hanging out with them has been very tough because I'm always feeling like I I'm, shouldn't be hanging out with them. I always wanted to have my own family and seeing them all start one has been rough. Where do I go from here? Try to find new friends or keep third wheeling them. Ryan, thanks for the email, buddy. Shout out to Central Ohio. You know I love Ohio. We love, that's like the heart and soul of Yee Nation right there. Um, buddy, you, you, are, you are severely falling into the trap of looking at everyone around you and thinking you deserve what they have. You're looking at social media and you're seeing new people getting engaged and you're looking at wedding cakes and these beautiful brides with flowers in their hair and, and you're looking at your friends and they, they seem so happy. And if you've listened to this podcast at all in any other episode, you'll hear me so many times talk to people that are not happy, that are lonely in a relationship. So you, you're not any better with a random relationship. You're no better. There's a reason you're single right now, but you have to find a way to be content and single now. Secure and single now. You have to do that. You have to go, you know what? I'm single, but I'm single for a reason. I haven't found the right one yet. And that's okay because I would rather be single and secure than find the wrong one and force something. And I'm also not attractive as someone that's desperate and looking for a relationship at all costs. Please, anyone, is there any girl out there that loves me? I just want a relationship so I could be happy because once I get in a relationship, then finally I'll be happy. And then I'll never have to third wheel again. And I could double date with people. And I'll be sitting with my girl and we'll be sitting across the table from my friend and his girl. And the girls could talk and the guys could talk and we'll be so happy. That is a lie. That's such a lie. This is a lie. Ryan, you've bought into it. Open your eyes. You've been lied to by your own heart. The heart is so wicked. The heart is so deceitful. And it will lie to you at every turn. It's the same heart that will lie to you about this. And then five years down the road in a relationship, it'll lie to you again and say, you don't have feelings anymore. And I don't love this girl anymore. She doesn't give me the time of day anymore. She's distant. She's not the same girl I met. Your heart will lie to you at every turn. So don't use your heart to make decisions. Use your brain. And as Christians, we pray that we get a new heart and we get new desires. Then God turns our heart and works in our heart and turns it around and makes it more like his and not ours. Your heart's lying to you, single and secure. That is so much more attractive. You're not going to find any good girls like this. I just want to find a girl. What girl wants that? Oh, uh, because then you're emailing me again, all nervous, going, I just met a girl, but I feel like I'm going to mess it up. I get those same kind of emails. I'm going to mess this up because I don't know what to say, and I really like her, but, but now she's not texting me back every 10 minutes, and so I'm starting to worry. Like maybe she, does, maybe she doesn't love me, but I really love her, and I've never felt like this before, and then you're desperate, and then you're just turning circles. 
And then what happens? She goes, oh, I'm getting out of this one. I'm getting away from this guy. This guy's psycho. That's what happens. Until you go, I am single and I'm secure. I'm happy with where I am now. I'm content. Say that word again with me. Content. I'm content the way I am now. In my current life situation, I'm content. And I'm also, this is tough, Ryan. I'm also happy for my friends that are in relationships that seem to be good. I'm so happy for them. I don't need to to feel the same thing to also be happy for them. Like that is that is so nurturing to the soul when you could just come to that realization. My friends, let me read let me read your email. All my friends are engaged in planning weddings. That's a negative to you. You hate that. What what if you flip it? All my friends are in relationships and engaged in planning weddings. And I'm so happy for them. Because in this world, a good relationship is hard to come by. And my friends have them. And I love that. Because I love my friends. And I'm just full of joy. My joy is so full right now that my friends are engaged and planning weddings. That is, that is so cool. I can't wait to see these little babies that are going to pop out. I'm going to be like an uncle. What if, you, what if you switched it to that? That's so nurturing. That helps you sleep at night. And when you get like that and you start going to these weddings and you're like, I'm so happy for my friend. Look, I'm at this wedding, beautiful wedding. We're all dressed up. The, the mother of the bride is crying and the dad is walking the girl down the aisle and he's crying. And this is just great. I love it. I'm so happy right now. And then you look down the aisle and there's this cute girl sitting there thinking the same thing that you've never seen before. She's a friend of the bride. And you go, hey, I might you know, at the end of the night when we're all dancing, I might go ask her if she wants to dance. Mm, that happens, Ryan. See see how this flips? Good luck to you, brother. Let's hit another one. This comes from uh, David, and it says, subject line, invest. Question says, if I told you my best friend that my grandmother left me $350,000, how would you recommend investing it or spending it? I'm 37 years old, fully retired veteran with two kids, already have $5,000 in savings, already have a farm with livestock, mainly poultry. Sincerely, disabled veteran David Smith. David, thank you for your service, and uh, congratulations, man. Sounds amazing. You just got gifted $350,000. That is amazing. That is very rare in this world. So you have an incredible situation here. You're asking me how to invest it. Well, I would I would go to the Dave Ramsey model. Um, I love his ideas, and I would read. If I were you, I'd read any book that he puts out, and I would listen to it, the radio show or on YouTube or whatever. But what he the, the basic steps he calls them baby steps. You have five thousand dollars. That's great. So he would say, out of that three fifty, take three months worth of your salary. So whatever you get paid per month times three, take that money and put it in the savings and don't touch it. That's your emergency fund. That's like a rainy day fund. The world is is collapsed. You lost your job. Uh, problems are happening. And you have three months to be able to live at the, at the same rate of living that you're, you are now with your kids uh, off of this emergency savings. So don't touch it. After that, you take the the first credit card that you have that has the 
lowest balance. Okay, so the credit card with the lowest balance that you still owe, you pay it off completely. And then you move up to the next credit card with the next lowest balance until you pay that off. And then the next credit card and so on until you get all your credit cards completely paid off. Done. They're completely done. Then you go to your car and look at, take a look at your car and you either, you either trade it in and get something a little cheaper or you love your, say you love your car, go ahead and pay that off completely. Once you do that, you move to your house. So you have no debt, making sure there's no other debt at all until you get to your house and then you, you hit with the rest of that 350000 after you've done all those other things. You take the rest of that money and throw it at your house. Throw it at your mortgage. Um, now, if you're lucky, this 350000 takes care of everything that I just mentioned. Uh, if not, you'll hopefully get everything done. You definitely will get everything done unless you have outrageous credit card debt. I don't think you do. Then you'll the rest of it is going to go to your house, and then you're going to get a big chunk out of your house mortgage. And then you could refinance, and you have a much, much lower um, rate to pay on your house. That's my advice. That's my advice. After all that's done, everything's paid for. You're 100% debt-free. Now we could start talking about um, 401ks if you have that available at work or um, short-term investing. You get a, a good good CPA, um, a good investment advisor. We could talk about that later, but, uh, but I want to make sure every bit of that debt is paid. And I want to I send you to Dave Ramsey and listen to what he says about it. But congratulations, brother. What a, what a really cool thing. Um, I'm assuming you lost your grandmother. So I'm also, if you did, I'm, I'm terribly sorry about your loss because I'm sure that you would rather have your grandmother than the money. So um, although it's a big blessing from her, I'm sorry if you did lose her. Next question. It says in the subject line, can you help me? It says, hey, Granger, my name is Emily. I'm from Maryland. I'm 24 years old. I'm a manager in a male-dominant field. Most of my employees are old enough to be my dad, and I'm the only female in the department. Managing them has become very hard, and I feel like they don't even respect me as a manager. I've tried several different ways of managing. Nothing seems to be effective. I really love what you do, uh, but I could feel uh, me and my fiance. It, this is all affecting our home life. Do I try to keep my job or find something else? Emily, thank you for the email and shout out to Maryland. Love that state. Love traveling to Maryland. Wish I had some crab cakes right now just thinking about this. Um, congratulations, first of all, I'll say 24 years old, your manager, um, you're, you're a female in a male-dominant field, and you're only 24. That You must be really smart, and um, you must be really good at what you do. So that's amazing. Um, I would say this. The, the, only, the only scenario in this, and, and I, would, I would not recommend right now just leaving the job and finding something else. Your relationship with your fiancé, if, if this work is affecting that, you have to tie that up first. Like, deal with that first. Leave the work at work and come home and leave it at work. Don't bring it home with you, okay? I know it's hard to do, but don't bring that stuff home. You're going to have to learn to get in your car and drive home and 
put on your home face. Forget your work face. That's just a job. That's just a paycheck, okay? I know that it's your career and you're passionate about it and you love it. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. But th- that's just a paycheck at the end of the day. It's not your, your future husband, okay? So deal with that. Deal with that. We're, we're, we're chameleons as humans. We could be such good chameleons and adapt to situations. Adapt this. Leave it behind you. As far as work itself, managing in a male-dominant field when you're a female, um, I would use humility as your number one go-to. Humility. And I would walk in here to this office, and I would walk up to some of the older guys, and I would say, let me say, let me preface. This is difficult. Everything I say seems to be difficult on this podcast, but that's because these are these are good questions and they're deep questions. So you can't ask me deep, good questions and expect me to be lighthearted and easy answers. So th- I would walk in with humility and I would go up to these guys and I would say, individually, I would say, I'm only 24. You are 35. You've been doing this a long time. So I'm, I'm truly going to lean on you for, for some advice and some stuff. This is hard for me to manage people that I understand have more experience than me. See, that, that kind of humility is very difficult to diffuse if you're on the other side of it. I'm not telling you to let people run all over you. I'm not telling you to not do your job or to let people disagree with everything you say and, and be insubordinate. I'm not saying that. I'm saying walk in with humility and go, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really think about this because you've been doing this a lot longer than me. And I, I, need, I desperately need to learn from someone like you. And then, so that, that side of it, and then the other side is servant leadership. Now, you said you've tried all different styles of leadership and nothing has been effective, but I would lean into servant leadership. That means you're, you're leading from the back, right? So, so when you're telling people to do things, don't ever manage and tell people to do things that you're not capable of doing yourself. If, if you're telling someone to do something difficult, Hey, I need you to clean up this whole area, stack all these boxes, make it really neat. In fact, I'm going to come in here tomorrow about an hour early. I'm going to help you with it. I'm going to get started on those boxes too, because that's a lot. And I'm, I'm expecting you to do it, but I'm, I'm not expecting you to do it alone. So let's dive in together. You can come in on time, whatever you need to do, but I'm going to come an hour early. And I'm going to get a head start on this because I, I also have a busy day tomorrow but I really want to to take care of this with you. So humility slash servant leadership, watch how this changes for you. No one one can look at you as the young girl that's telling them what to do. If you're doing it with them and asking for advice and coming totally with humility and all of it, and you could watch people start falling in line behind you, watch people start, start letting you lead them from the back, that's a true leader. Someone that dives in, gets dirty, is not afraid to come in early, stay late. Don't ask things from anyone that, that is ridiculous for them to do, like make me a cup of coffee. You would never do that. You would tell them, hey, before you get started on that, that I told you to do, before you get started, I'm going to run down to the coffee shop. Let me grab you. What do you want? What's your favorite coffee? It's on me. I got gotcha. you. 
Or surprise them. Just walk in. If you know what they want, surprise them. Boom. Here's a cappuccino. I know you like it. I even put a little cinnamon on top for you. They're like, man, Emily, thank you. That's amazing. That's leading from the back. Servant leadership with humility. It's a good question. Good luck to you. Thank you guys for your emails. I love you. I love doing this podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Thanks for joining me on the Granger Smith Podcast. I appreciate all of you guys. You could help me out by rating this podcast on iTunes. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to this channel. Hit that little like button and notifications bell so that you never miss any time I upload a video. If you have a question for me that you would like me to answer, email grangersmithpodcast at gmail.com. Yee-yee.